Welcome to Schools on the Front Lines, a new podcast brought to you by EdSource and the Ball Frost Group. I'm your host, Carl Cohn. There is no doubt that California's schools, whether public, private, or charter, are facing the greatest challenges of our lifetime on multiple fronts. But where there's a challenge, there's also opportunity. In each episode of Schools on the Front Lines, I'm talking with leading superintendents and others from around the state about these challenges and how they hope to overcome them. Schools must reopen, but how, when, and in what form? In this, our sixth episode, I'm speaking with Superintendent Paul Escala of the Los Angeles Catholic Archdiocese. His school system has more than 270 K-12 schools in Los Angeles, Ventura, and Santa Barbara counties, making it the third largest school system in California and the largest Catholic school system in the country. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for having me, Carl. First, tell our listeners about the sheer scope of your responsibilities. What are the data points that make you the leader of the largest Catholic school system in the country? The uh, Archdiocese of Los Angeles is among hundreds of dioceses across the United States. The diocesan system is one of the governing structures of the Roman Catholic Church. In the Los Angeles region, we actually are a tri-county archdiocese. We encompass the counties of Santa Barbara, Ventura, and Los Angeles County, making up the the largest archdiocese in the United States of of not only of the number of schools, but also the number of Catholics in the country, larger than New York and and Chicago. And so in the archdiocese of Los Angeles, we're serving over 73,000 students, TK through 12. And among those children, they attend uh, 265 schools in that region. So that is the sheer scale and scope of our school system here. And what is the mission of the Catholic schools in Los Angeles? To educate through the gospel teachings of Jesus Christ and the faith in the Catholic Church. We are fundamentally believe that education of the whole child is necessary to go above and beyond the call of what we would define traditional education. It's not just education of the mind, or articulation of of intellect and thinking, but part of that is character development and is faith formation to address the whole child. So that is what we do in our Catholic schools and we've done since 1851 here in Los Angeles. Tell us a little about your background and your own leadership journey. I'm aware that you're one of those rare individuals who actually has had a leadership role in public, private, and charter schools. I'm not here today without a teacher, a Catholic school teacher. It's in fact, a Catholic school teacher who inspired me to be called into this vocation. It found me. I did not find it. And uh, that Catholic school teacher who I uh, reconnected after my studies at, at Cornell University, coming back to Los Angeles, had just won a seat on the LA Unified School District Board of Education in 1999. His name is Mike Lansing, and he was a teacher of mine at Holy Trinity School in San Pedro. Went on to be an administrator at Mary Star of the Sea High School in San Pedro, and uh, ultimately moved on to uh, be the executive director of the Boys and Girls Club of the LA Harbor. 
He ran and won a seat on the LA school board. And when I came back, he and I got together and I was looking for a job and he was looking for a staff. And so the alignment was there. And so thus began my vocation in education. And I thought I was on my way to law school, but took a detour and really never looked back. And I'm grateful for that. And this journey has been uh, an incredible blessing of mine over the last 20 years, Carl. I've been able to serve in a whole host of capacities all the way up to the governor of the state of California as chief of staff to the secretary for education, director of operations for Mayor Villaraigosa's partnership for LA schools. So I've been able to really see a number of different facets in the education sector, leading my alma mater high school as president and CEO at St. John Bosco High School, being a CEO of a charter school network, and now the superintendent for uh, the Catholic schools here in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. So it's been uh, quite a journey, but it's a journey that, that really started with a teacher, ultimately with my family, my mom who raised me on her own and my grandparents who helped raise me as well. It really does take a village, Carl. And I think that uh, in our schools today, particularly now more than ever with this pandemic, we are recognizing the sheer necessity of our schools in our time with the alignment uh, with family and the broader community to ensure that every child gets a high quality education. So without getting into the weeds of what is called church or canon law, what is the governance structure of Catholic schools? When someone asks you, Paul, who's your boss? Do you reply, Archbishop Gomez, or do you say, it's complicated? (laughs) It is the Archbishop of Los Angeles, Archbishop Jose Gomez, who also serves as the president of the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops. And he is my boss, if you will. I'm a senior director in what's called the chancellery of the archdiocese. That's essentially the cabinet, the cabinet of the archbishop. And there are 11 ministries, uh, schools being one of them. And I'll tell you, Carl, one of the things that I've come to appreciate about Catholic schools, and this isn't always realized as a student, and I am a product of Catholic schools since kindergarten, we're about as local as you can get. Catholic schools are a function of the parishes. Parishes are responsive to the community. We believe in something that's called subsidiarity. And in that philosophy, we believe that issues are local, issues of concern, of opportunity and success are best dealt with at the local level. So unlike our peers in the public district arena, we are very much on the ground, very much local control. And within our parish schools, our principals and our pastors work together with families, with teachers to solve issues and challenges and also to identify opportunities for kids. Most of our high schools report up through the archbishop and I'm his designee. So in effect, they are overseen by my department directly, parish schools. We provide indirect oversight and support of our schools and ensuring that they have the capacities, the resources to be successful on behalf of children. Tell us briefly about what happened with your schools from mid-March until the end of the school year. What really came was nothing short of a complete disruption to the status quo, if you will, of how we go about every aspect of our work. We heard of the first case that may have been connected to one of our schools. In fact, on my birthday, March 6th, I got in a phone call that a child of one of our um, school secretaries had contracted COVID-19. And that was about a really just days before we started to see more and more headlines going across our our county and our state around uh, this uh, emerging pandemic. From March 6th, 
through the day that we had held a press conference on March 13th, uh, we've been learning more and more and more about how this situation was devolving into what looked like a total and complete shutdown of our normal way of life. And in fact, that happened. And on March 13th, the Archbishop and I made a decision to call for the transition of all of our schools to distance learning no later than March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. In the course of, of those several days, uh, our department went into immediate support mode around uh, ensuring our schools had the necessary technology, that they had the necessary professional developments. And you remember, not just our schools, but our department, everyone involved with this, all been working in person and had been normed against that. And suddenly we were all now working at a distance and that seemed so long ago, but it wasn't that long ago when we were really making that switch. And on the whole, and through our feedback from schools and surveys from parents, we really saw this incredible community convergence of resiliency and commitment and sheer willpower. This idea that everyone is going to run into the barn, we're going to close the door, and we're keeping everybody in the barn safe because this tornado is coming through. We don't know how long it's going to last, but we're going to keep everyone in the doors. And uh, we did that and successfully navigated three months in the spring to end the school year strong. We didn't close a single school during that period. We raised money to keep kids on tuition assistance. We uh, participated in the Paycheck Protection Program to protect the employees of our schools and our parishes. And we really look back on that and see that as an incredible reflection of the tenacity and resiliency of our communities. And what is your plan for reopening? Well, like uh, all things these days, it's been subject to change. So on the 13th of June, the uh, governor announces a guidance document for the safe return to campuses across the state. We announce on the 15th that we are going to return to our campuses. Of course, as we all know, during that time, we had flattened the curve and uh, we started to see a number of reopenings across a variety of sectors. And at the same time, watching on bated breath to see what would happen and not too far down the road, four weeks later, we have to reverse 180 back to our plan for distance learning. Now we told our schools to prepare for both, but of course the operating plan to return to campus with all of these health and safety modifications requires a tremendous lift for school communities. Unlike our friends in the public sector, we don't have the apparatus, the large systems and, and infrastructure of a facilities division and thousands of employees who all serve to support schools. My office has 40 individuals spread across three counties and a third of them are our admin assistants who work those phones every single day. So we are navigating this world as best as we can. So on, on July 15th, we have to announce that we will return to uh, the school year with distance learning uh, because of the new standards that the governor has applied to not just public schools, but to private schools. If you're on that monitoring list for the county, you cannot return to in-person instruction. You have to be off that list for 14 days, consecutive days, before you can return to in-person instruction. So it was a sobering and disappointing turn of events. You know, it's our, our expectation that our public policymakers put kids first when we reopen sectors again. And instead of opening bars and nightclubs and other non-essential sectors that kids get a chance, Carl, because they've been at home for almost five months now. 
They haven't had the benefit of in-person instruction or social development, or in our case, faith formation in person, or a summer, really, that we would always look forward to as kids. Our kids didn't have that. In late April, it was widely reported in the media that you were on a conference call with Archbishop Gomez of Los Angeles, Cardinal Timothy Dolan of New York, other Catholic school leaders, President Trump, along with U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos. What would you like to share with our listeners about that phone call? The president took the opportunity and the time to listen to our story, to listen to what Catholic education has done to contribute to the strength of this country and its strength in its people. The fact that Catholic schools have single-handedly done more with less, have always been resource-constrained, but its resilience to ensure a high-quality academic and formative education to the most needy in our country has ended the cycle of poverty for so many children since the founding of our nation, in fact, even before the founding of our nation. The first Catholic school was founded in New Orleans in the 1700s. The story of the Catholic schools is the story of America. Our schools serve over 78% of them are children of color, and those who qualify for free reduced lunch are 90% qualify and and participate in the program. So that is what we shared, and uh, we were happy to do it and glad that the president took the time to listen to us. Obviously, Paul, the pandemic has put school systems of all stripes under stress by amplifying the long-standing inequities for poor kids of color. What do you think the future might hold in terms of major change with regard to how we serve families going forward? I'm glad you asked that question, Carl, as I'm living proof of it. I was born into a um, single mother household. My mom raised me on her own, sacrificed, worked hard made a decision to send me to Catholic school, help raised by my, my grandparents, my family. Everyone contributed. Everyone got involved. It's part of the social compact. And I think that to a degree, when we hear from families, when we hear from students, we hear from teachers, it seems sometimes that this compact has been busted in so many different ways. When we recognize the amplification of disparities, particularly for black and brown children, of poor children, uh, no matter who they are or where they come from, that the disparities have always been there, but it has been a sad and brutal fact that in America, so many of those disparities go without recognition or go without notice, or maybe get supported just enough for kids to get by. But getting by isn't good enough anymore. And we have a generation of children who are now growing up, who will have grown up during one of the most incredibly disruptive periods in modern American history. And not since the flu pandemic of 1918 have we ever dealt with this kind of public health crisis that has affected every walk of life in America. And if we choose to re-approach and re-establish this compact with families and schools, I think what we will see is a recognition that schools cannot do it alone. Teachers cannot do it alone. That part of the American promise is that we must put children first. And when we put children first, we pass policies and support policies that put families first and allow for families to actually be able to put food on the table and not have to work multiple jobs in order 
to do that, which puts more stress and strain on families to stay together. And if we approach it through a family first, child first approach and pass legislation that allows families time to be a family, time to vacation, to take time off. We have policies like that. We've seen moments in American history where we've done that. We can begin to reestablish a compact that says, we have a partnership, we as a family and with the school. Finally, Paul, when you accepted this position a year ago, did you have any idea that your first full year was going to be such a wild ride? How has leading with this degree of ambiguity and uncertainty changed you as a leader? There was, there was no way to possibly imagine that we would be where we're at today. And, and, and I began this role on the 19th of August of 2019 and came in with a, an ambitious vision to uh, reestablish that compact with our school communities, with our families, to really reimagine what a strong and robust Catholic school system could look like. And we haven't missed a beat on that. And I think that's one of the things that I've come to appreciate about leading during crisis is that you need to always, always, as the British Navy used to say, hold fast and don't give up the ship. We need to hold fast right now that a steady hand at the wheel, no matter how bad the storm is, no matter how large the waves are, no matter how much panic might be around you and how much noise might be around you, that a steady hand is required and that you must meet the moment with that level of sheer tenacity and calm and conviction. Be very clear about your priorities, stick to those priorities and lead with those priorities along with your team and keep them focused in on the prize through the storm, no matter how long it lasts. Paul, thank you so much for spending this time with us today and good luck to you and your more than 270 schools. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. That was Paul Ascala, superintendent of the Los Angeles Catholic Archdiocese. Catholic school families in Southern California are fortunate to have leaders like him navigating these uncertain times for their schools. Well, I think it's only appropriate that we end this episode with a piece from the St. John Bosco High School's Jazz Ensemble in competition at the 2017 Irvine Jazz Festival. That sports and academics powerhouse in Bellflower, California is where Superintendent Paul Escala graduated in 1995 and where he served as president and CEO from 2010 through 2016. This has been Schools on the Front Lines, brought to you by EdSource and the Ball Frost Group. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our opening theme is by Utah. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Carl Cohn. Talk to you next week.